Welcome to episode 176 of Cowboys Ride to Free the Podcast. My name is Joel Penfield. As always, I'm joined by Philip Slavin. It is Monday night, and we're recording right after the end of uh, the Eddie Sutton documentary uh, that was done by Christopher Hunt over at 1577 Productions. Uh, we interviewed them a few months ago, and we got the news last week. It got picked up by ESPN, and it was on there tonight uh, for everyone to watch. It was incredible. Uh, Philip, what, what are what are you thinking right now? It's obviously tough to take in everything that we saw in the last two hours because there was so much of it, but uh, just some immediate thoughts. Well, first, uh, perhaps the guys who, who, who made this, um, you can tell that the, the time and energy and, and, and more importantly, the care that was put into this was done by people who I think cared about Eddie Sutton and cared about Sean and cared about the family. I think they did them incredible justice. Um, it was so much more emotional and raw and real than I think I even expected it to be. Uh, I think going in, you, you expected it to be good. I had high expectations for this. Um, I think most, I think a lot of people did. Not everybody, but a lot of people had very high expectations for this documentary. Um, I think they surpassed them. Uh, I think they were able to to tell the stories, and we'll talk about this one this in a little bit. But it may have been called Eddie, and they may have told Eddie Sutton's story and done a beautiful job of it. But the fact that this also felt like something of a redemption story for Sean as well, I thought is the most. Uh, is, was my biggest takeaway from this and the thing I did not expect to see the most and the thing that I was so happy to see the most. I mean, again, we can, we can talk about it a little bit more uh, as we get to that point, but I thought that they did both men a great service um, and did them right. And I just, uh, I'd be lying if I said that, you know, emotions from watching aren't still pretty real. Yeah, it, for for me especially, doing like stuff right after we watch something, whether it be a game or whatever, something like this, it's tough for me to formulate thoughts in a you know in a manner that is you know good for listening on radio. So I apologize if what I'm talking about tonight is just stream of consciousness, and you wanted to skip listening what Philip says. I totally understand, but. This was, and when we talked to, to Christopher and the, the other people behind the, the uh, behind the documentary, they talked about how real and honest it would be. And I, you know, I took them at their word that that was what it would be, but I was curious how honest it would be. But it wasn't just honest, it was raw. And it was very, you know, it hit you at your core at some of those moments where, you know, you just had to kind of sit back and go, wow. You know, at some of the, you know, the stories of Eddie's drinking or the, the, you know, the stuff that Sean went through when he played at Kentucky, getting all the hate and criticism and awful stuff from Kentucky fans, um, taking all that criticism that year was, that, that hurt my heart the most throughout all of this. Um, but it was, it was incredible to see the peaks and valleys of it all. Um, the peaks were obviously very, very high winning at all those places. And it was very interesting for me because you know, you can do a quick Google search and see the success he had. And I, I didn't know much about his time at 
uh, Southern Idaho or Arkansas or Creighton or Kentucky um, beyond just looking at wins and losses and such, but to see the way, and we, you know, we've talked about this before with uh, when coach Sutton passed the way that players at all of those schools viewed him as a father figure, he treated, and when you know, said when he was in Arkansas, that when you're here, you are part of a family and you can see in the way that they revered him that, he was that to them. It wasn't just coach speak. It was truly, that was the way that it was. And I think that's one of my biggest takeaways is that no matter where he was in his coaching career, no matter what he was going through personally, that he was still the best person he could be to his players Um, outside of maybe that one year at Kentucky where Rex Rex Chapman talked about, but it was raw. It was emotional um, it there were a lot of, a lot of emotions that, that I can laughs. I about choked up quite a bit. I was, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it brought out a lot of emotions to me tonight. That's for sure. Um, so why don't we kind of, I took notes throughout. Um, I loved following the story. There's a lot of things I didn't, I didn't know about him. Um, a, uh, early on when I mentioned he, he, he basically lost the ability to speak in like 2016. I did not know that that was. Yeah. So I, I knew about that. Um, I, I've talked about this before my experience in knowing the Sutton family. Um, I believe I taught, I go down whenever coach was there, whenever Steven was there, I would go down and I would at least talk to Steven a little bit. The oldest son who was, isn't really associated with basketball. Um, I would always ask how coach was doing. I got to see coach a couple times and shake his hand and talk to him real quick. And one of the last times I got to see him, I said, how's coach doing? And he said, he understands everything. He, he can see what's going on, but he can't respond. And for the rest of that game, I just, I, that was at halftime. And I sat there in the second half. I was watching the game. I think I was going to winning that game, but it always just stuck with me that that just, I mean, it hit a nerve that I didn't know I had. It was, a, it's a strange feeling as the, as the documentary started and they mentioned that. And it's the first time I think I had actually listened to his voice in some time. And it's a weird thing to say, but he, I, I kind of got a little tear. It was so nice to hear him speak because I don't think I'd realized how long it had been since I'd actually heard him talk. He hasn't been on TV. You don't run a lot of clips of him. Um, I haven't watched an interview of his in a long time. But, you know, it, it, his voice is just, as an Oklahoma State fan, his voice was so iconic. Um, it was just part of Oklahoma State. And I'd been, I didn't realize how long it had been since I'd heard him speak. And to hear him speak that first time was just kind of like, it was just weirdly jolting. And I didn't realize how much how much I had missed it until that moment. Um, it was it was a weird feeling to start things off, and it was kind of a nice feeling. Um, can we just can we can we like bring this up a notch for a moment and talk about the fact that that man moved from Tulsa to Twin Falls, Idaho, to a school that hadn't been built yet? to start a basketball program that literally didn't exist when he got there to be the head coach. And he went 83 and 14 in like three years. I, I think that's a pretty good indicator of how damn good of a basketball coach he was. Like, and how, Oh my God. <laughs> what? Somehow. I, did no. you know that before? I, no. I had no idea. Like you could never do that now. Like I don't think, no. I don't think it's possible now, but like that is so utterly ridiculous. Side note. I don't know who the and you're gonna have to believe some things, some uh, a hole Ole Miss coach was 
when all the stuff was going down in Kentucky and his quote was like, well, you know, he had this, uh, he goes to school and didn't have anything and he went to Arkansas, it wasn't any good. Then you just kind of have to ask the question like, well, maybe, oh, maybe he was a cheat. Maybe just because you suck. Screw you, you fat, stupid piece of, uh, sorry. I'm gonna, that that was the one to take that, out as well. Yeah, man, that was, yeah. Also, I have nothing but the utmost respect for Kentucky basketball uh, and the success that they've had, and the dedication that they have to basketball. I'm not a Kentucky fan, and now it's just F you, Kentucky. Like, no, forget you. I don't want to – no, no thank you. Yeah, I I never realized how much of a raw deal that he got. Good. Like, I I knew about the violation. I knew about all that, but the inner workings of it and how he was pretty much – I mean, you – you could parallel it in certain ways to the crap that went on with Mike Boynton, like in what is gone at Oklahoma state right now. Like it's just getting a raw deal from the NCAA. Like it's well, and just everything else. Like I no. just, it, mm, mm. yeah. Um, that note that, that popped up, that was really interesting that uh, while Creighton takes them to the, uh, takes them to the sweet 16, got calls from Ola Roberts, Arkansas, and Duke, okay? This was like 1974, I think was what I saw. Yeah. 1974, Eddie Sutton could have been him, the head coach at Duke. Duke, a historic program that had been on some down times. Yeah, they, they, they were not, if I remember correctly, in the 70s and early 80s before Coach K got there, they were very irrelevant. So that Vic uh, Bubbas, who was there from 60 to 69, he went 23, two, uh, 213 to 67. After that, they had Bucky Waters, who was 63 and 45, uh, a season of a guy named Neil McGeechy, I don't know how to pronounce it, 10 and 16. And then they hired Bill E. Foster. And he did a good, he 113 64, had a nice time there. And then Coach K, of course, took over in 1980. Had Eddie taken that Duke job? Because that just, and that just like started blowing my mind. Think if Eddie had taken that Duke job, would Coach K be the head coach at Duke? Would Eddie have ever come to Oklahoma? Like, yeah, that's that one is, of the great, I think that's one of the greatest what ifs in college holy basketball history. Crap, have he had gone to Duke? what would have happened. I mean, yeah, I think that, that, that becomes one of the greatest what ifs in college basketball history. Well, then him, he shouldn't, you know, as he said, leaving Arkansas was the worst mistake he ever made. So for, for um, me, that was my biggest woe moment for me. Like you talk about that to me, I was like, wow, that, that, I don't know. That took me back for some reason, but it, that was one of my biggest moments for sure. I mean, I'm always, I was aware of the Arkansas stuff because I'm like, I had, uh, a good friend of mine, it, when I, it, through, all through high school, still a good friend now. Uh, was in Arkansas. His parents were Arkansas fans. His his mom, his grandma knows like everybody in Arkansas. Like his, her husband had season tickets. I had a very strong Arkansas connection, so I knew all about Eddie in Arkansas. And of course, um, then after, and I just like I I didn't know the story and everything that went on there. I knew he was very successful. I know that the national championship was what the year after. He left, I think, or two years after. I forget. Basically, it was all like Eddie's players. But so that's it. Doesn't matter. Like it. He, you. He. One of the takeaways I had is some people are made for certain things, and this is something I think all a lot of coaches have a have a hard time with, and I would have a hard time with it. We all want to be the top dog. We all want to go to a place and be the best. We all want you know, to prove that we're, we can be at the top of the mountain, right? Could you look at what Eddie did? And, and I, and you could argue that, you know, 
from the get-go, he got a raw deal at Kentucky. But he goes to to Twin Falls, Idaho. Is not a school. Starts it up, succeeds. Goes to Creighton, which was a solid program, but not not no, they weren't not not. He goes there and turns them into a winning program. You know, middle of nowhere kind of school. Goes to Arkansas, downtrodden program. Rural kind of area. Turns that program into a, a, a big deal. Comes to Oklahoma State later. Program them is downtrodden. Completely saves Oklahoma State athletics. The only place, sometimes you have to look and say, we all want to be the head coach of a Kentucky or a Duke or, or football in Alabama or in Ohio State. Some guys are just made to succeed in the harder to succeed in, in certain situations. And I think you could look at where at Southern Idaho and, and Creighton and Arkansas and Oklahoma State and see a lot of similarities in the programs, in their history, in where, what they were when he got there, location and see a lot of similarities in those and say, this was the kind of places he, he was going to succeed. And I think part of, I don't want to take away from like the fact that he was friggin' brilliant and amazing basketball coach and could succeed anywhere. But Kentucky is just this weird, the same reason I think like Texas can't find another guy to win um, because it's such a, it's such a weird, hard, strange unusual place that takes a certain mentality and ability to, to, to have success in a place where it's just the pressure is ridiculous. And not just the pressure dealing with the BS and the nonsense and the politics and all that crap, dealing with the politics and stuff like that, Arkansas and Oklahoma state and Creighton and things like that. So I just like, it was just such a weird takeaway for me of like, you look at where he was able to succeed and that alone should tell you how brilliant he was. But sometimes some people just aren't made for certain kinds of jobs. Yeah, and I think that, that was one of my biggest takeaways too is that obviously he was successful at Kentucky his first year and then obviously things started to progress negatively. But what he did at Arkansas is nothing short of a miracle with the way that it was the program was described by the players that he got there in that first class and people around the program to turn them from a just bottom feeder to I think they won two or they only lost two games his second or third year there. Uh, second year in the mill was, was what it was if I saw it right. Okay, yeah. I mean, that that's crazy. And to, to be become a powerhouse in Fayetteville, Arkansas, is nothing. Oh, yeah. Sh- yeah, that's insane. And then to come to Oklahoma State and immediately have the success that he did. My, my parents talked about that they were in college. Uh, I believe they were sophomores when, uh, when Eddie got hired. And they said before that, I mean, you could walk into GIA, you know, riot tip and you could get a seat right down by the court like no one the this arena was not filled and then by the time halfway through that first year it became a lottery to get tickets into the game like if you were a student it's like how it is at kansas now it it got that big that fast and that was how fast the change was at Oklahoma state when eddie was there can we talk about eddie sudden had some damn swagger back in his day good goodness grief that man had Swear that shot of him in the hot tub with <laughs> I don't know the reporter like Arkansas's rolling and you're just like what is happening? What and that, is that was this? when he had the perm. He had the perm then, and he had the the, the big old like coke ball glasses, alligator shoes. Yes. Oh, no, those were those were full on big old aviator style. He's wearing alligator shoes. The suits were just ridiculous. Man, that man had. 
some swagger back in his day. Good <laughs> yes. grief. That and was like, you see, like the leisure, I was the, like, damn, man, that is yeah, like, right. The, like, like the leisure suits. And then he's like the giant. It was just funny to see the era move. And like when he first gets to Creighton, he's wearing like the giant, like the god awful, like plaid jackets and blue <laughs> slacks and like light blue slacks. Like it, it was very, very funny to see that through the years. I don't know if you noticed this. You know, we know Eddie by the end, he was, you know, that, that bulldog look of his. The first time that showed up in the documentary, the first time I noticed it was that, that second season at Kentucky. Um, you know, he's, he's drinking all the time. And they have that, it's, it's after that loss to LSU that they bring up where they're just like yeah. completely destroyed. And it's the first time you see him on screen and go, there's Eddie. There's that bulldog Eddie. There's that that face that he that he made so iconic that you had on t-shirts and printouts and signs. Bobbleheads. I, I still have yes. a, the the scowl bobblehead. I have it. It was the first time on camera in that documentary that I can recall that they showed that scowl of his. It was and and again, there's just these moments that just kind of hit you in in strange spots. And you're like, oh, oh, oh. Which is credit to them the way they put this together. Like you just you notice things when you're watching it. Mm-hmm. Um. That whole thing of his second season in Kentucky with the alcohol, the the conversations that Sean has, um, what Sean says about what it was like is hard to watch. The the Rex Chapman. Uh, oh, yeah, because I remember Scott saying in like an interview, I guess with like a media personality, someone in, in Tulsa, and he said what Rex Chapman said, like. He said it was brutally honest, and I was kind of waiting to see what it was going to be. But then you see the video of what Rex was saying, and that broke my heart. Oh, because you knew because you you understanding what was going on. It's so obvious watching. Oh it. yes, so obvious that that's that that post game where he grabs and brings oh, This is my son. I you like he is drunk. Like that is he is right now. Like and it's 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 so crushing that that. It's not. It's a part of you have to tell about his story, and they handled it so well, and they handled it so honestly. But the, there's the line that 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 Sean says, and it just about killed me because you know where this is. This whole documentary is going to, like, you know how the story ends, where he talked about, uh, you know, I, I, I'm seeing what my dad's going through, and I, I'm I'm never gonna I I that day I'm never gonna have be addicted. I'm never gonna deal with addiction. I'm never gonna let addiction that hurt me. And he you. says that, and you know what's coming. Mm-hmm. And I'm just and and there was something about this documentary. Like there's all these fun points and high points and great things, but as you get further into it and you know the things that are coming, you know the plane crash, which I just it just mm, they, mm, and and you know the end of his time, and you know what happens with Sean. And just the, the the further into this documentary, you get to that last, once it hits that hour and a half mark, you're just like, okay, grab your tissues um, and get ready because you're going to see a grown man cry. Um, this is going to be, this is going to be a lot. And, oh, but that line from him was just him talking about his dad like that. The things, the things that he said about him and and that line of I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna let addiction get me. <sighs> I, I again that's the point. And that's the point where you go, this isn't just about Eddie. Like the, are we you're going to see as much about Sean and hear as much about Sean as I think I've ever really gotten to hear publicly 
about him and his relationship with his dad. And I think that was what both the, the, the rawest and hardest stuff to hear and some of the best stuff of the documentary, uh, because it, that becomes more the redemption story I almost cared about than just him and his coaching career. Yeah, that, that was, and his, by that time, uh, when Sean had his incident, uh, we had known Sutton family for a few years at that point. And it, and we, I had gotten to meet, I don't think I had gotten to meet Sean at that point, but I, we, we had known them. I had been able to meet Scott a few times and see coach a few more times before. So the, that hit at a different level because I knew the family. Uh, a few years later, we, when uh, I believe it was the first year that Sean was an assistant at uh, ORU with, uh, with Scott when he started to get back into basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to meet him and my dad gave him a, a coin from his, uh, from CGSC where my dad works. Uh, which is in the army is an honor to, to give someone the, like a, the coin of what they do. And I'll never forget um, Sean being very emotional when my dad did that because of the honor that it meant um, it to see, to see the redemption story of Sean at the end of the documentary and really coach for coach Eddie, for that matter. Um, it played so well into the happy ending that it should be um, seeing you know, you set you that you know that glimpse of the heartbreak in 2019, but then you see the the family in 2020 when he gets into the Hall of Fame, and you know you see it that seven weeks later he passed away, but at the end you see, you know, Sean's coaching again. He's coaching for a Final Four, you know, a team that's going to compete for national championships year in year out. You know, Eddie gets into the Hall of Fame. It played incredibly well into the happy redemption story that it should be. You know, I always have. I don't dislike Sean. I don't dislike. I don't. I don't know him. I don't know him personally. And I and I when I think about his time as the head coach of Oklahoma State, I always kind of think, but uh, that stinks didn't work out. And watching this is the first time I I think since he left, I really feel like disappointed that Sean Sean didn't get to work at Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. that it's very obvious he was not in a good place when he took over. That It's very obvious that how Eddie's time at OSU came to an end had a big impact on, I just like understanding now so much more about that whole situation and what he was going through and how, and, and the demons he was fighting himself, man, I, A, it sucks because you just, you hear the way people talked about him in this documentary. It's like you, there's no reason he shouldn't have been able to succeed except for what everything that was going on from a, from a basketball standpoint, had, had he not been fighting the things he'd been fighting, I really wonder if he had had, would have had more success. Yeah. And B how man, not, not a shot at Chris Beard at all, but how much credit do you think Sean Sutton probably deserves for how good Texas tech is right now? Oh, 100%. I, I, he's got to play a huge impact. And it's, I, 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 there, I don't, I don't think people talk about it at all. I don't think, you know, because of how his time at OSU ended. So it's not somebody you want to be like, Oh yeah, Sean Sutton or, Oh, we should, man, how much credit do you think he deserves? Cause I, I get the feeling a whole lot more than anyone actually gives him. Oh my God. Yes. Uh, I think I can't remember who the player was. It was like a, they were showing a clip and they had someone playing an interview in the background talking about how he was one of the best coaches he had ever been around mm-hmm. as a player. Uh, when he when Sean was a young assistant at Oklahoma State, you, you know, a few years in, on those Final Four teams, on that Final Four team in '95, 
Like that's how good of a coach Sean was. I, so I have not seen the Big Country documentary that's supposed to be on ESPN on Wednesday. I'm ready for that too. But man, after the stuff with Big Country in there, like he just this, this guy playing three on three. They don't have enough people, so his dad is out there barefoot playing. The, I'm like, what? Like he just it, like so, everything about it was like you know Big Country like now and what he did at OSU. But from the sound of it, like he showed up and everyone's like, really? This is what we're gonna okay. All right, let's see what happens. And then he turned into big country. Yeah. It was so funny when they show the post office in Gans, Oklahoma, that, that first shot. And my wife, who has lived in Oklahoma her entire life, born and raised, goes, where is that? That's Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I tried to name a couple towns that I knew that were kind of around it, and she goes, yeah, I, I have no idea. Um, the Remember the 10 section was – Hard, just tough yeah. to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the way they handled it, I thought the way they handled the game after uh, was, was really well done. Um, it's such a brief moment, but when that game is over, there's this shot of Eddie leaving Gallagher walking out toward the locker rooms, and you see him wipe the tear away. And that was just like, of everything I'm watching, that I'm about on the urge of just like, mm-hmm, like I'm, there's tears already. But once I saw that, I was, was like, okay, I need a commercial break. I need a minute. Like, I just, this yeah. is. I, I needed a commercial break in the first five minutes when Eddie talked about the first time he met uh, Patsy. And, oh. like, th- that broke my heart right away. I was like, oh, no. Why did he have to do this to me now? Oh. Yeah, that was, um, that was good. That, um, um, do you have any, anything, that, uh, anything that disappointed you about the doc? Because like, look, it's two hours. We, there's so much we're not even going to cover because I can't cover every single thing about it. But was there anything that that, uh, that disappointed you about it? Not that I can think of. To be completely honest with you, like I feel like it. And I think my favorite thing about it, and I, I talked to my parents real quick. Um, they they watched it too. We called me real quick before we hit record. And my mom said something very that it the way they played it, how he was an incredible basketball coach and a flawed human being at the same time and how those coincided throughout most of his life. Um, you know, I think it's just, I think they played it extremely well. Um, you saw those, those sides that, you know, people probably don't want to see, but I, I credit the Sutton family and you know, 1577 for showing us that because it tells the true story of who coach was and there's so much more to it than just winning on a basketball court. And he's one of the best coaches the game has ever seen and still fought his demons all, you know, throughout his life. And it's, it was, you know, it was tough to watch for sure at times. Uh, some of the things that were said in some of those interviews, but at the end of the day, you know, it's still, it still makes me happy to know that he and Sean really, for that matter, came out on the other side of it you know, in a good place. So my, my only, my only thing, and I'm, uh, I'm sure it has to do mostly because they kind of, I don't want to say glossed over the season, but the season wasn't uh, a big part of the dock outside of uh, flashback clips was we didn't get, uh, we didn't get Tony Allen. Yeah, I, I wish I would kind of not, not even, I wish I would have seen a little more of the Final Four team, but um, I think it was more, you know, kind of. I think they were starting to kind of show how the 
the plane crash had weighed on him even during these high times that, you know, I think that, I think that was more the point they were trying to make than that. You know what I mean? My, yeah. No, I know. I just, uh, if you want to talk about somebody who, someone who always speaks highly about Eddie and the impact they had on him, like there's no one I love listening to talk about Eddie Sutton more than Tony Allen. There's no one glows about him as much as he does. It's, uh, and I, I just, I wanted, I wanted to be able to have him. Um, well, shoot, man, we got a break news right now because I got to write something. Yeah, so uh, we were talking about this in Slack uh, earlier today. I know this was a bit sudden, but since we're already Let's talking about work. basketball, oh, what do we got? Uh, Oklahoma now? State just uh, just filled their last uh, open scholarship. Uh, oh. so you could say the one vacated by Urinate or the one vacated by uh, Rusing, however you want to do it. Uh, Bernard Kuma, I believe it's Count Kuma, uh, according to Corey Evans of Rivals, uh, he has committed to uh, to Oklahoma State, three-star junior college big man, 6'9 guy from the country of Chad. Uh, spent a season in the JUCO. He was supposed to go to Illinois, and uh, but, but wasn't uh, able to be eligible. Uh, high school in Brooklyn, New York. There's your there's your connection. There's your connection. Um, this is a he's a developmental guy. He he's this is definitely a guy that you bring in to rest Boone. Um, but uh, according to, to Corey Evans, they just landed. I don't I don't know a ton about him. I need to talk to Zach. Uh, Zach had quite a bit on him. Let me see if I can pull. He still got uh, three. I decide he does have three years of eligibility. So he does. He nice. spent one year in the JUCO, so he's got three years of eligibility, three years to develop. Um, but he's now the final. Yeah, so it was he was JUCO, committed to Illinois out of high school, um, couldn't qualify academically. Um, but Oklahoma State went after him. Uh, they needed to fill a, the big man hole. And so this is the guy that they're bringing in to do it. Uh, Bernard, I think it's Kuma. I, I, it's K-O-U-M-A. I, I'm a, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing his last name. I'm sure we'll figure it out. But this gets them the big body that they needed, the 6'9", 260-pound center. So this is, um, again, it, it – He's not an A. Um, I think he's going to be a development guy. But uh, this, is, this is a nice piece for the roster, fills the last scholarship, and, and gets them a center to add to the roster. Yeah, and, you know, we, I wish he was about an inch or two taller, but to have him be 260 pounds at least gives me a little bit of hope. You know, he's going to bang around. He'll get rebounds. Do I think he's going to start right away? No, I think the Boone Twins are going to, you know, they're going to play. Oh, he's not starting. They're no, not there, there's no chance. But, but – you had you get, no one bigger than I mean he's he's no taller at six yeah, nine. But he's gonna but, go but he's gonna be able to go in and get rebounds against some of the bigger guys in the Big Twelve. So you you at least have that. But it adds a little bit more depth, especially down low. Um, you know, we'll kind of see how this goes. This kind of came out of nowhere. We saw a little bit about it today. Um, didn't expect it to the commitment to drop tonight, but it just adds another piece, and we'll see where it goes. I try, I have faith in what Boynton's doing uh, with the guys he brings in, so I'm not going to try and criticize it too much. He's got a pretty good track record at this point. Yeah. So I, I not that I, I – mean, I think I was about wrapped up on the Eddie Doc, but I think I need to go write this up and get it up on the site. So once everyone hears the podcast, this will already be news, but, you know, it's, it's happening right now, so we figure we should talk about it. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to go write this up for the site real quick and, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll go from there. All right. Well, I guess we'll, we'll leave it at that. I'm sure as uh, oh, we'll, we'll come up with some thoughts at some point later, but this was good to just kind of get an immediate reaction. It was a fantastic documentary, legitimately 
uh, one of the best sports documentaries I've watched in a very long time. So uh, to the guys over 1577 who had the opportunity to interview a while ago, this was incredible. Um, it is far exceeded my expectations, and I'm so happy that uh, it got the, the platform on ESPN for people to go and watch this. So we will see you guys uh, some either later this week or next week, and we will talk to you guys later. Have a good one.